listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Good morning. It's a blessing to be with you again. I want to thank your pastor, Robbie Waddell, for the invitation to come and, and share the word with you on this fine Sunday morning. Today we're focusing on Acts 9. The theme has been come and see. I've went through a number of titles, <clears throat> so you can choose which one you think might do the best justice to the passage. How's that? Blinded to see? That's a good one. Dying to see, blind obedience. All different themes that you'll probably hear in this passage. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read 9, 1 through 31. As I'm reading this passage, I would like you to follow along or to listen closely and to help you listen closely, I want to suggest that this passage is rich in irony. There are so many reversals. It's also rich with scriptural echoes. There are a number of stories that are working in this passage. And maybe you'll be able to identify a few of those. I'm just going to suggest two in particular. One, you will not see it until we come back and work through it. The other, I think, is pretty clear, but just to help you out. One is the story of Phoenicius, who is the grandson of Aaron. The other is the calling of Moses at Mount Sinai, where he encounters Yahweh at the burning bush. <clears throat> so... This is a story about the conversion of Saul. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any people belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened, and he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. <clears throat> the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground. Though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. 
Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And Ananias said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell like from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days, he was with the disciples of the way there at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Messiah. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with Saul. But their plot became known to him. They were also watching the gates of the city by day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he actually was a disciple of Jesus. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. But they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren, and when the Christian community learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord 
and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the church continued to increase. Join me in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this day. We are grateful, Lord God, for the salvation that you have brought to us through Jesus Christ. We are grateful, Lord, that you have opened our eyes to see the way and to enjoy the way of the Lord. We ask you now to open our hearts to receive what the Spirit would have us to receive. Help us to open our hearts and if need be, to be converted again to the way of the Lord. I ask you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. As I said, this passage is filled with ironies. There are echoes of stories that are behind all this. Paul, which is his Roman name, so he has two names. Paul would be his Roman name, his Greek Hellenistic Roman name. He's a Roman citizen. That's probably why he has a Roman name. And his, um, his a Jewish Hebrew name would have been Saul, which would have been very appropriate for a Jewish male from the tribe of Benjamin. So he's known as Saul and Paul. It just depends the context. It really doesn't have much to do with his conversion. It has everything to do with how he is perceived as a Roman citizen or as a Jew. So... I will use them interchangeably. I don't want you to become confused. Saul is, has set out from Jerusalem to persecute those who are called the followers of Jesus. That is, the way. This is a very important word that appears in Acts, the way. It reminds me very much of the opening psalm. Are you going to choose the way of the Lord, the way of the righteous, or are you going to go the way of the wicked, the way of the ungodly? Are you going to be on God's side or against God? Salvation, first and foremost, is about a journey. It's about a way. And that way is directed to us in this passage through Jesus Christ. Jesus of life. And these earlier followers of Jesus were known as the way. Paul is setting out from Jerusalem to persecute these followers, these Jewish followers. Acts is framed um, by this sense of persecution. We see that in Acts 7, Stephen is stoned. And who is there approving of this biblical form of Capital punishment, stoning. It's found in the Old Testament. None other than Saul. It's what Stephen says and what happens to Stephen that should trouble all of us. And what do I mean by troubling? It is Stephen who is giving testimony of who this Jesus is. The crucified one is actually resurrected and alive. This Jesus is just like the prophets of old, of which you constantly persecute and kill. 
And it's with these words, this history of Israel and its resistance to the way of God that brings about his own demise. They stone him. But it's what he says while he's being stoned. And I'm convinced he's only able to say this because Jesus stands up. Stephen sees the heavens open. And the one who was crucified, raised and ascended, the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, stands up in the midst of this horrific stoning of an innocent person. And this is what Stephen says. This, I think, is, is very challenging. He says, verse 60 of chapter 8, or verse 59, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord, and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then following on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he died. Wow. He's echoing the very way of life of a Jesus follower. The way of life of Christ is called the cruciformed way. He is dying to see. It's not that death is a good thing. We know that Jesus came, God sent Jesus, not to kill, but to bring life. Not to destroy, but to bring life to destroy all those things that kill, steal, and destroy. So it is in that context, Saul sets out, and he is a zealot. He is passionate about Yahweh. He is committed to Torah, the instruction of the Lord. He's committed to the way of Moses and the teaching, the inspired scriptures, as we call them. This zealot is persecuting Jesus' followers. Why? I mean, what was the big deal? They just claimed that this particular Jew is the Messiah. Others had done that. But what is so troubling to Saul about all this? Saul is concerned to bring purification to Israel. They have become polluted and misled by this sect, this group. They're declaring that this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah, the one who was crucified and cursed and died. That is how Paul understood this Jesus. He was crucified, and therefore he was cursed. So the law teaches that. Cursed is anyone that hangs on the tree. And he's dead. He's convinced he's dead. How could these people be saying he's alive? Not only that, these people are hospitable. We know that Yahweh didn't make covenant with everybody, but just the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not non-Jews. How is it that you can embrace these foreigners, these 
aliens, these individuals who are far from God, did not even Yahweh declare to them at times, purify the camp, kill anyone who's not Jewish. That's the story that shapes this Paul more than anything else. It is a biblical story. It's about Phoenicius. You can read about it in Numbers 25. The people are rebelling against Yahweh and a plague is breaking out as a result and they're intermarrying and they're committing immorality. They're worshiping a false god. And here comes this man with a Midian woman, his consort, and he's in front of the elders, probably in a boisterous way. And all of a sudden, Phineas gets angry. The scripture says he, he takes on the jealousy of the Lord and takes a spear and kills them both. And the plague relents. It says in Numbers 25 that that action justified Phineas. By this act, he has been justified. There's only two people in the whole Bible in the Old Testament that that phrase is used, that they were justified by doing this particular act. Phineas who God rewards with a perpetual priesthood. I mean, Yahweh rewards him with a perpetual priesthood. That's what it says. And Abraham. Um, by faith, he was justified. This by being justified is, is going to be picked up by Paul. You're probably asking me, why am I spending so much time with Phoenicius? Because it is Saul the zealot who feels is the only way to honor Yahweh is to invoke violence in the name of Yahweh for the sake of the people of Israel. If we can destroy this group, if we can kill them out, surely Yahweh will rise up this nation again, Israel. The irony here is the one who is persecuting encounters the very one he thinks is dead, Jesus of Nazareth. He encounters him on the way. And he responds this way. First of all, the language is very clear of Moses' encounter of Yahweh. Saul, Saul. Moses, Moses. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul is shaped in the understanding. He, he's not making a confession of Jesus is Lord. He's recognizing that this is an act of God, like the prophets of old who have these encounters. And therefore, he falls down. He declares, uh, who, who are you, Lord? He knows this has to be connected to God somehow. And yet he is not sure exactly whom has encountered him. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What? The crucified one? The one the law says is cursed? The one these others were declaring is alive, is actually alive? And so he is told what to do. 
The one who is given papers to bind and lead back and persecute and purge Israel is now bound. And he is being led by the very ones he wanted to bind and persecute. In this process of three days, Paul is going to make a conversion. That conversion is a way of understanding Yahweh. It's a way of understanding God. He does not cease to be a teacher in Israel. Acts is very clear. Acts begins by talking about, in chapter 1, the refreshing of Israel. He is still a teacher to Israel. However, he is being persecuted by the unrepented Israel. Those who are the refreshing of Israel, the way, the followers of Jesus, this is the community that he now converts to. And with this conversion comes a change in the way of doing life. Instead of violence, instead of coercion, he has to take up the cross. It's a non-violent way of life. That's why we're all dying to see Jesus. We're called to follow this way, and it makes no sense to us. How can we ask God to forgive somebody who is killing godly people, innocent people, or somebody that didn't do anything we understand if somebody's out there murdering, killing, doing things, but why Stephen? What is the depth of this compassion? This is clearly seen as part of Paul's calling. God is not a God of exclusion, but God is a God of inclusion. So when Paul converts, he moves away from Moses and embraces Jesus. He now interprets Torah through Jesus Christ, through the teachings of Jesus. Like Jesus said, the law, the prophets, the writings, all this point to me. And Jesus said, they're all fulfilled in me. It is a major change. It's not an easy thing to think that somehow God who seem to endorse this particular way as told in Scripture, that is, violence is the way of Yahweh, is now transformed into a non-violent way of living. The church, the community called the way, is really an alternative group in all the nations. So this way, this conversion, it involves three things, three elements. He is converted to Jesus. He doesn't deconvert from Yahweh. He believes that there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord alone. The Shema had never changed. He understands that. What he now understands is that the Messiah came to show us a way, a way that would lead us into further truth and understanding. Therefore, he'll say in a letter that the law was a tutor, like when you're adolescent children. It had its time, but it is fulfilled. We don't live lawlessly. We don't live immorally. We live a way 
of hospitality, with integrity, as following Jesus Christ. So he is converted to Jesus because he encounters Jesus. His act was a reckoning to him for righteousness, just as it was for Abraham. By faith we are saved, through grace, and it is a gift. Also, Paul is now converting um, in a process. So there are two things that happen in conversion. We in our churches, we, we love the dramatic change, so we emphasize such a dramatic change that for our children growing up in the church, when they never really knew a time when they didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, it's kind of hard to make sense out of all that change. Like, I guess Melissa always talks about how she got convicted listening to the Bee Gees. And I'm thinking, the Bee Gees, my goodness, how safe is that? Bee Gees, I'm listening to the highway of hell on my first DUI <laughs> in a car wreck. I'm thinking, something, dramatic change? Call upon the name of the Lord to be saved meant I had to change my way of life. Calling upon the name of the Lord for Melissa was a regular habit of a person who loves God. So either we overemphasize this dramatic change or we dismiss it altogether. Like, hey, it, we're all okay. We're not all okay. We're really not okay. The good news is that God comes to us. And it is God who converts us, converts us to Jesus in the way of Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, converting to the way of Jesus, that is obeying everything Jesus taught us, which it says in Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, requires a lifelong conversion for many of us. It's so easy to feel as though we're entitled to impose our rights, to defend our property, to defend in ways that always gravitates to violence. Not the way of Jesus. We are converted. It goes into Paul's calling. He's a chosen instrument, Acts 1.12. Talks about um, the 12 being chosen instruments. I mean, I'm sorry, Acts 1, 2. Acts 6, 5. The seven are chosen instruments. Now, Paul, what is he called to do? He's called to preach the gospel internationally to Jews and everyone else and multiculturally. This is a challenge. It was a challenge for Peter to enjoy seafood. I'm sure it was a challenge for Paul as well. He lived a certain way of holiness unto the Lord. Without it, you shall never see God. All of a sudden, what is understood to be holiness is kind of changing a bit. What does it mean to be holy? It's to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and might. It is to love our neighbor, which now includes enemies. Now we're back to Stephen as an example. How do you love your enemy? When they're killing you, you ask God to forgive them. That's why I say it's ridiculous. This is why Paul says that the preaching of Christ is absolutely ludicrous to the Greeks to think that this person was raised from the dead 
And it's a curse to the Jews. He was hung on a tree. But this is the heart of salvation. This is the way of the cruciformed way of life. So coming and closing here, Jesus says, I'll show him how much he's going to suffer. Suffering, like Jesus, is not incidental to salvation. It is an ingredient, an integral aspect of the cruciformed way of life. Are you saying I need to suffer in order to be saved? No. I'm saying you're suffering because you are saved. Suffering is not a condition for salvation. Suffering in the world by others who don't understand, who find this nonviolent, peaceful way of life threatening. There's another irony, right? I can never figure that one out. These people are nonviolent, and yet you want to kill them because it's threatening to who? Who are they threatening? That they're not jumping on board? That, I mean, they're not going to kill you. They're going to pray for you. They're going to help you. Anyways, suffering is not a condition for salvation. It's a consequence of being faithful to the calling of God on your life. And as if we would had time to work through this, you would see that Paul can only be faithful to the calling because he embraces Jesus as a way of life. He has a change, deep change of understanding that, okay, things have changed. I may have clearly misunderstood what Phineas' story should have done for me. However, if I'm going to follow the way of Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, it means that I don't abandon the scriptures. It means they're reinterpreted in light of this way. Therefore, they become a living letter instead of a dead law. And this suffering then is simply a consequence of our faithfulness to the Lord. And we can't do this by ourselves. Saul did not do this by himself. Saul embraced Jesus, found liberation from sin, a way of life because of the community. While he was blind, a threat. Couldn't you just hear some people mummering? I mean, I'd have been thinking, hey, this might be a nice time to take him over there by that steep hill. You know, whoop, sorry. You okay way down there? Let's push some more stones over. Maybe he gets stoned to death accidentally or something, and we'll be set free. I mean, honestly, this is a serious thing that these Christians are struggling with, and they're called with Paul to be the gospel, to preach the gospel. The good news is we can fulfill that calling we can fulfill God's particular task in our lives as we're involved in a community called The Way, a community of relationships, brothers and sisters who also struggle with these hard teachings of Jesus, who have also found freedom from death and the domineering control of demons and destructive ways of thinking and resources, food, shelter, water. The cruciformed way of life 
doesn't require you to make some grand announcement to everybody around you that you're a follower. Your way of life and following Jesus is the announcement, and they will ask. They will be, what is this? Why this? So today, in my concluding here, I want to challenge all of us. Have we really been converted? Do we really want this way of life? It's a good way of life. It promises everlasting life. It's a way of having community with one another. It's a risky way of life. Paul died in order to see. Like Paul, when you were water baptized, you died. The life you now live, you live in Christ Jesus, the living one who strengthens us to be faithful in our relationships, who helps us, who will even stand up in the most difficult, dark time, our own death, especially at the hands of others, to strengthen us. Why? Not because God is a God of death, but it is God who is the God of life. And in those death moments, the glory of God comes down and it shakes the ground around us. People will hear, people will see, but they will not understand. Only until there is the proclamation of scripture and their own encounter with the living Christ. So today, I just ask you as we move forward, will you join me and converting and following the crucified one to be identified with the people in Acts calls the way. How do we do that? Acts says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God desires everyone to be saved. Paul's gonna preach to everyone and anyone who will listen. The only prerequisite to coming into this way of life is that you have to die in order to see. And that is a death that is in the one who is now living at the right hand of the Father. A death we call water baptism so that we can live today and everlastingly in the hope that the one who calls, the one who creates will make all things right. It is God who vindicates. It is God who will set all things right. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.